Consistency is one of the hardest things to find in sport. It's what separates the Roger Federers, the Lewis Hamiltons, the Floyd Mayweathers, the Alex Morgans, and of course the Eddie the Eagle Edwardses from the rest. Liverpool scaled the highest of heights last Sunday as they pulled Manchester United's pants down for the whole world to see. But can they follow that up with another win against Bournemouth this weekend? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Nothing wrong with the consistency of my tipping team today, starting with old Dumbledore himself, Mark O'Hare. Mark, it's uh, been that consistency that's eluded Liverpool all season, but they do seem to have really picked up in the last month or so. Yeah, they do. Um, Premier League terms, is it four wins from five now? Um, unbeaten in that sample, keeping clean sheets in each, which is kind of a world away from the Liverpool we saw um, through the, the end of autumn and especially through the winter where they weren't able to string any sort of coherent defensive displays together. Um, obviously, the return of Canate to that central defence defensive berth has uh, provided a big boost alongside Van Dijk. Uh, they look a lot more secure when he is there. And also having that kind of uh, the glut of sort of menacing forwards that they have uh, coming back from from uh, injury to, to full fitness has, has provided a massive boost in forward areas as well. What I would say, though, is I'm not ready to kind of... Well, I'm not really at the trusting phase of Liverpool just yet, despite what they did last week, because, you know, before the Man United match, we still were picking holes in their form lines uh, in those four previous matches. Um, We could still see reasons why perhaps Liverpool might be vulnerable to that match against Manchester United. And in fact, for the first 30, 40 minutes, the game was in the balance. It could have gone either way. Um, Thought United were the better team, actually, in the first 40 minutes. Thought they were certainly the more Yeah, dangerous you could absolutely team. make a case for that. And that's what made uh, the second half even more shocking because they turned into a, a kids' team, really, um, chasing the ball around and having petty arguments amongst each other. And, and Liverpool just picked them off with ease, really. So um, I think it's quite telling that Liverpool actually scored as many goals last weekend against Manchester United as they had managed in their previous eight Premier League games combined. So... You know, do we kind of write last week off as a bit of a fluke, uh, a bit of a freak occurrence, or do we sort of take the positives out of those previous four four games and sort of build on that with the United match too? Probably a bit of both, but um, yeah, I'm not really yet at the trusting phase. They really should go to Bournemouth, put on a decent show and get a victory there. But um, I don't know, it's going to be a much different kind of test for them uh, this weekend because Bournemouth under Gary O'Neill, particularly since the January transfer window, he's had a, an influx of some really exciting attacking players at his disposal, but they have kind of changed their tack too. They've kind of gone to a bit more of a contain and counter approach and you can see that in their possession figures in the last couple of weeks. that They're basically averaging less than 33% possession against every single opponent and they're trying to plan the counter attack and that kind of asks Liverpool then, you're not going to be able to play in that same sort of chaotic style, you're not going to be able to get the same sort of spaces you got against Manchester United here. Are you going to be able to to, to break this Bournemouth defence down? I'm sure they possibly can and they probably will. Um, but I think Bournemouth might take some positives as well from their performance last weekend against Arsenal, despite the result. To be in that position against the league leaders, uh, obviously it's going to hurt. But um, surely there are some positives in there for sort of belief and confidence levels. So, yeah, I was quite happy to leave that game alone. But, um, you know, I really wouldn't be surprised to see Liverpool run riot. But at the end of the day, 
their form lines, particularly away from Anfield this season, haven't sort of suggested they're going to be able to do that. Although they're head-to-head with Bournemouth, not just this season, but actually in season gone by as well, suggest that they should win this comfortably. But yeah, I'm still kind of waiting to be persuaded to the uh, the idea that Liverpool are back to their best. They haven't charmed you yet, Mark. No. You've still got work to do. Uh, somebody who is charming, of course, trader and tipster extraordinaire, Emmett O'Keefe. He's with us once again. Emmett, Bournemouth blew a 2-0 lead against Arsenal in a dramatic 3-2 defeat last weekend. But they have shown, actually, they can cause the big hitters a problem or two. Yeah, exactly. I think the kind of what's interesting here to me is that the market is still pricing Bournemouth a little bit like they're they're they're, they're, they're kind of on pre, on previous form more than the team they are they are now. My kind of like like Mark, I think we've seen Bournemouth make kind of a a really notable improvement since the since since the end of the January window. They lost like they've kind of lost narrowly. They lost since since the end of January. They've lost narrowly to Brighton away from home, beaten Wolves, held Newcastle home deservedly. Had 13 shots and scored at home to City. They were well beaten by City, but they were relatively competitive. And in the game, they're always going to be unlikely to win. And then nearly secured an unlikely point at the Emirates, scoring two goals and having close to two expected goals. Like Bournemouth aren't Bournemouth are a team that are probably now kind of maybe in and around the kind of maybe 17th best or 17th or 18th best team in the league uh, as, as opposed to the team that was clearly the worst team in the league on the numbers in, in, the, in the first half of the season. And, and like Mark said, I'm kind of, I'd be hesitant to kind of read too much into last week. Like when Liverpool were obviously excellent, Jurgen Klopp's tactical setup was excellent in, his, in terms of his use of kind of Cody Gakpo, um, as kind of Jamie Carragher pointed out, pointed out Monday Night Football. But it, it's 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 still one game. It's a one game sample size, and kind of like Liverpool being two 0 up and kind of nailing my night on the counter attack. That's not a formula that's that's applicable to this game against Bournemouth at all, as Mark said. But Bournemouth will be. We'll kind of sit. We'll, we'll sit. We'll sit very deep and try and try to play on the counter attack, and kind of deny Liverpool as much space as possible. Liverpool as well. They're clearly a better team with kind of Kanate and 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 Van Dijk together. But they've only played four matches together this season in the league. Liverpool have won three and lost one. But it is noticeable that both of those were together when Liverpool were, were kind of beaten away at Brentford. So I think that it's not necessarily. So again, it's a four-game sample size. But I don't think just because the two of them are together, Liverpool are are kind of are going to be infallible away from home. Um, I yeah, I think Liverpool are way too short here and. 1.48 but I think the way I just but just given the potency of Liverpool's forward line with kind of with Cody Gakpo coming through and, and and Nunez and Salah playing very well the way I'd like to back it was similar to last week against Arsenal I back both teams to score at around 187 I can see this I see this big game where Bournemouth are kind of competitive in long stretches maybe Liverpool maybe pull away in, in, in the last half hour kind of in a kind of a 2-1 or kind of a 3-2 type game well, be very What I would say Kev as well is um you know, we talk about Bournemouth and, and the new signings and, you know, it's allowed sort of Philip Billing to set back into central midfield alongside, alongside Jefferson Lerma. You've got Otara and Hamed Traore sort of playing off Solanke. It's quite an exciting forward line. But also the Ukrainian centre-half, they signed uh, Zabani, uh, an amazing signing for a club like Bournemouth. He's been injured, um, but supposedly he might be fit and available for this weekend for the very first time. He would provide an enormous boost defensively to them too. So, you know, I think that's the where we see the Premier League strength and, and the budgets that these clubs have, clubs like Bournemouth can go out and spend money on arguably one of the best up-and-coming centre-halves in European football um, and be able to sort of pay him the wages, which is uh, attractive enough to go and play for in a relegation battle. So, you know, once he is fit and available and does slot into that team, they'll only improve as well defensively. 
I think Bournemouth spent more in January than the entirety of Serie A. So it's uh, that kind of uh, bizarre kind of uh, difference that we've got at the moment. By the way, we're making a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There's a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. Everton made the perfect start to life under Sean Dyche against Arsenal, but things haven't gone that well since. And Mark, they've got an incredibly tough trip to a Brentford side that's genuinely chasing a European spot. Yeah, definitely. The game's at Goodison Park. So my error there, Kev, when I sent over the games, it's, it's Everton versus Brentford rather than... Ah, I can blame yeah. you. Yeah, it's fine. Sorry, apologies on that. But, um, He's yeah. undermined my script. <laughs> Lucky I like him. Normally that's a, that's a, either a sacking or an execution offence, but I'll let him off. Um, yeah, I mean, Everton involved in that really entertaining game at Forest last weekend. Um, back at Goodison Park now this week. They're back in the bottom three as well. Daesh will undoubtedly be targeting home matches for for points in his bid for survival. They'll be desperate to get Calvert-Lewin back as well. He's potentially due back this weekend, which would be a big bonus. Uh, They need him, but um, at the moment, they're pretty one-dimensional. We probably wouldn't be too surprised by that, reliant on set pieces. In six matches under Daesh, they've scored four goals. Only one of them has come from open play, uh, and that was uh, Seamus Coleman's wonder goal against Leeds. Uh, And since actually the resumption of the Premier League, so this kind of uh, goes into Frank Lampard's tenure as well, six of Everton's eight league goals have been scored from set pieces. Uh, that's not really sustainable. Uh, we saw them change things last week with Damari Gray playing in the false nine. I thought he played pretty well in fairness to him. Um, made much more of an impact than Neil Mope has. Um, but obviously, Cavalier's muscle, his might will will improve them. But um, yeah, the XG open play averages are, are pretty bland for Everton. And I just think if you're going to be reliant on set pieces, uh, there's probably better teams to play or match up against than Brentford, who are similarly direct, uncompromising, uh, set-piece specialists in their own right as well. Um, I just think they happen to be a much more stable and secure uh, and consistent animal, not just um, from set-pieces, but also from open play as well. Uh, I can't really have them as underdogs here at Goodison Park. I think that's a a very disrespectful price for for Brentford going to, to Everton. As you say, they're sort of Chasing European qualification, unbeaten in 12, six wins and six draws since uh, mid-October. I mean, that's wild, right? Unbeaten in 12, Brentford in the Premier League. Yeah. It's it's just mad. It is mad. And Thomas Frank's been quite keen to sort of tell everybody that as well, whenever anyone will listen. He's like, this is little old Brentford unbeaten in 12 Premier League games. It's it's historic, really. And um, yeah, they've... um, Yeah, you look look at their record this season at avoiding defeat as well. It's... Amongst amongst the best in the division, so Arsenal and Newcastle have lost three Premier League games this season. The next best is Man City and Brentford, who have each been beaten just four times across the. And whole... Brentford won at the Etihad. I think yeah. people forget that as well. You look down the you look down City's results sometimes, and you go, "Oh yeah, they lost at home to Brentford." And it was quite wasn't exactly a fluke either. They played really well that day. So um, Brentford only lost once against teams outside the top seven. They're unbeaten against sides from Palace and below. Um, the teams who got sort of considered to be in the relegation scrap. They've only failed to score in five of 24 matches. Uh, only the top four have a better conversion rate than Brentford. Um, and yeah, only Man City and Arsenal have kept more clean sheets than Brentford. So, you know, all the positive stats are all stacking up on the B side here. Um, we've talked about Palace being a tough nut to crack. Brentford are that and doing it in spades as well. They're very difficult to beat. And I just think stylistically, tactically, 
this should suit them really uh, against an Everton team who will like to go long and direct. Um, obviously, Brighton are getting all the plaudits. Fulham too this season for their incredible campaigns. Brentford are still flying a little bit under radar just because of their style and their approach. But um, yeah, I expect them to get something out of this match. So I'm going to dip into the bet builder here. We can back Brentford double chance. We can also include under four and a half goals. Uh, so you're back in Brentford, 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, 2-1 2-1 or 3-1 wins, or the 0-0, 1-1 or the 2-2 draw. Um, 23 of Everton's 26 games have gone under 3.5, let alone under 4.5 this season. And we can just top it up by top it off by uh, backing... Um... <laughs> I've lost my notes. You're right there, Mark. You're having a breakdown. <laughs> Ivan Tony, that was it. Ivan Tony <laughs> to commit one foul or more, which he's done in all bar two of his Premier League games this season. Um, you know, he doesn't need any introduction. He's a physical player, likes to put it put it about a bit, very dangerous in forward areas, but also very capable of picking up uh, fouls and misdemeanors along the way too. So, yeah, that all comes in at 1.85. So uh, that looks really attractive to me. Uh, it's just a nice way of getting Brentford on side. So while producer Jack uh, does the uh, long-awaited software update for Mark, just to get him back on track, uh, I could talk to Emmett because Chelsea got a huge boost in midweek. They secured a deserved Champions League turnaround against Borussia Dortmund. I know they've got a bit of fortune with the way the penalty came about and the way the penalty was retaken, but I don't think anybody over the two legs could argue that Borussia Dortmund deserved to go through. And even Edin Terzic, the Dortmund coach, pretty much alluded to that himself. Emmett, Chelsea go to a Leicester team that is sliding towards serious trouble and I'm always really intrigued by Brendan Rodgers' press conferences afterwards because he acts as if he had nothing to do with the game sometimes especially when things go badly it was as if kind of he was just observing while the players were messing up it's a strange old situation that yeah, he reminds me of uh, oh, this uh, an old reference here. But any listeners who've seen the Godfather movie, like that, Brendan Rodgers is not a kind of a wartime conciliary. Like he's he's not a man <laughs> for a crisis. He's he's constant <laughs> when things are going well. His kind of shtick is and kind of and positively, I think is it, it obviously works. But whenever things are going badly, as you said, he tends to wash his hands of it. Or in I think towards the end of last season, he was kind of seemed to be eyeing the Newcastle job and kind of, kind of yeah. making making noises that he kind of wanted wanted that. So yeah, kind of yeah, it's um, it's never that good. And yeah, kind of Leicester is certainly in terrible form. Just when you think they kind of they turn the corner after kind of a few January signings, they've lost they've lost kind of four in the bounce. The fullback they signed Christensen's kind of out with injury as well, which is which was a bit of a blow. Yeah, he'd look good, hadn't he? Actually? He had, he had. Yeah, I was thinking that they probably had made a kind of upgraded in three positions with him, um, Harry Sutar and Tete. But kind of the Sutar phase partnership has kind of hasn't looked hasn't looked quite as good in in, in recent weeks. And obviously Christensen's out. I do I do think Tete is quite a decent signing though. Um, for this game specifically, I was looking. I was I the. the the, the, the thing that really struck me from the game in midweek from Chelsea was the performance of Kai Havertz. Yeah, he's a player who's 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 a massive ability, but has kind of, I'd say, largely flattered to deceive throughout his kind of Stanford his time at Stanford Bridge. How dare you? How very dare you? <laughs> but but <laughs> but I think I thought his performance during the week was absolutely world class. I think his yeah. his kind of touch link up play. If you're saying what do you want for false nine. That that was what you want from 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 Kai Havertz during the week. Superb work rate, link, linking the attack, getting the team up the pitch, um, kind of bringing the other players into play. It was a really really outstanding performance from Havertz. I think close to the best of his Chelsea career, I would say. And he was a bit of a shit house, right? 
Yeah, he's always been out. I think he's, I heard a star recently. He's the most fouls in the Premier League this season. He's certainly up there anyway. Yeah. There was a moment really early on, I think it might have been Marius Wolf, who they were arguing with all game anyway. And he just stepped across and just nailed him in the chest. It was really early on. And I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because he, you know, that's what you want your second forward to do, isn't it? I think so as well. I think, yeah, like having, I think, yeah, like a lot of good centre forwards, they definitely need, need, need kind of a bit of edge. I think as well, it's kind of something that's been kind of points at Havertz in the past that he can seem, his personality can seem a bit different on the pitch or a bit, a bit like, it could be just, just the way his nature is, but that's something he's been criticised in the past. So I think that, that was definitely good to see and also noticeable from a kind of a, if you're backing a kind of goal score bets, like I'm, I'm promoting here with Havertz, that he, that he, um, Havertz is now on penalty duty with, with uh, Jorginho going to Arsenal. Havertz has kind of underperformed his expected goals this season and understandably kind of frustrated the Chelsea fans of his finishing, but he's now playing, I think, with a more potent forward line with, with, um, yeah, Felix, who I, th- I think is coming on. He looked great, I thought. I thought th- those two together are starting to get a bit of a click, which could be very important for Chelsea, I think. Absolutely. And then having James and Chilwell back and back, back at wing backs, you now have a really potent forward line and potent attack and up and playing against the Leicester team that are really struggling. I think Havertz should get plenty of chances. He's two to one on the sports score any time in the sports book. And there's you, you can you, you should be able to get bigger than that in the exchange if if if, if, if you look closer to kickoff. Yeah, that's uh, that seems a decent price to me. I thought, as Emmett says, I thought he was excellent in midweek, and we know the quality he has. Uh, he has also scored uh, winning goals in the Club World Cup final and the Champions League final, but that's by the by. Uh, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. Eighteen plus. See gambleaware.org. I did enjoy Marco Hare's expression, by the way. Uh, as I used a slightly rude word. He was like a giggling schoolboy in the background there. Uh, Leeds United go into the weekend with only goal difference separating them from the drop zone. They're up against a Brighton side that just absolutely shredded West Ham. Mark, how on earth do Leeds approach this? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult, isn't it? Um, Particularly with their issues in front of goal at the minute. I think they've blanked in five of their last seven Premier League games. Uh, Javi Grazia, I do rate him as a head coach. I think he did good things, not just at Watford, but at Malaga in his previous uh, job in Spain. Obviously, elsewhere, things haven't gone quite to plan, but I do think he has the makings of being a, a coach that can guide Leeds out of trouble. Won't always be the most expansive, um, possibly won't be anywhere close to Marcelo Bielsa's style and approach, but uh, it can be effective at times. Yeah. Um, you couldn't get more of an opposite, <laughs> could you? Javi Gracia on one side, Marcelo Bielsa and Jesse Marsh on the other. Like guys who behave like lunatics on the touchline. And then Gracia looks as if he's just kind of wandered in. This is a security guard. But I, I quite like that. <laughs> I haven't got a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the bigger picture here is, is succession planning. And you have to question who's making the decisions or what the, what's going on behind the scenes. But that's probably a, a tale for a Leeds-based podcast. But The canteen staff, maybe? Because <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's nobody with any football experience. I mean, no. their, their search for a manager post-Marsh was extraordinary. Yeah. I, know, I know for a fact, like, a fair few on those lists that they floated and the fans went, no, we don't want them. And then they went, oh, okay, we'll move to somebody else. Yeah. It was really embarrassing. Shocking stuff for, a, for a, a Premier League club. And we talk about the big budgets and the money these clubs have available to them. And to 
yeah, just beggars belief, really. But um, yeah, this is going to be a very difficult game for, for Leeds this, this weekend for obvious reasons. Um, the Premier League's actually seen a, quite a big drop off in terms of its goal output in 2023. Um, I think Unders has been a winner in around two thirds of matches since the end of December, which is a really significant drop off. And is that World yeah. Cup related, Mark? Would you yeah, say? Yeah, I, th- I thought perhaps the World Cup break. Um, Fatigue, um, the transfer window as, as well, kind of a stop-start, clubs getting new signings in, new coaches as well. The relegation dogfight is is probably bigger and wider than it has been for quite some time with, with seven or eight teams involved. So perhaps there's a bit of trepidation there and a bit of negativity in, in terms of approach, but um, probably a consequence of all of that, really. But uh, one thing that stayed constant is uh, is Brighton and their, their wide-open, really fun matches. Um Goals have almost always followed them and uh, sound like a broken record, but if we're getting served up odds of 1.91 on over two and a half goals in the Brighton game, it's almost become a blind bet for me. Um, Play that record. Play that record <laughs> over and over again. Keep doing it. No problem. It's it's, it's just an automatic selection um, because, you know, they're very scarily similar to, to Roberto De Zerbi's Sassuolo side, who were one of the great entertainers. And I know some people, sceptics, might look at their record and say, well, three of the last four have gone under. But you have to look beyond the actual result in football, particularly as a punter, to to understand what has happened in those matches. And the full-time result only sort of scratches the surface. Performance data is, is much more intuitive. Football is a low-scoring sport and therefore luck can play a big part in, in the outcome of one-off matches. So if we look at the three Brighton games that went under before they beat West Ham 4-0, they beat Bournemouth 1-0 at the Amex. That match produced 3.68 expected goals. Brighton contributed to 2.5 of that total. There were 32 shots and 22 from inside the box. They drew one all at Palace. As we know, a controversial VAR decision ruled out a third goal. But overall, there was 3.5 expected goals in that game. Brighton contributed to 2.5 again. There were 23 shots and 18 from inside the penalty area. Uh, And then the fortnight ago, they lost 1-0 at home to Fulham, uh, where they contributed to 2.2 expected goals of a 2.56 total. 26 shots, 18 inside the box the bulk of which were Brighton's again. So I think the long story short is the XG for all those three games came to a total of 9.82. The actual goals came in at four. So the evidence suggests that Brighton's games being open, expansive and kind of ripe for over two and a half goal selections um, should remain constant. And we saw that last weekend against West Ham. As you say, cut them to ribbons, uh, an XG of close to 3.7. Just four different players scored, 12 different players had shots, eight different players created chances. Eight players had 15 or more touches inside the final third. Just unplayable at times, Brighton, when they get into that groove. And um, particularly away from home, things have been really, really exciting and entertaining. So Deserby's overseen eight away games. Both teams have scored in seven of those. Over three and a half goals has copped in six of them. They yet to keep a clean sheet on the road. They've scored in seven of eight on the road. And those matches have averaged 4.01 goals per game. So I think the fact that Leeds are at Elland Road here um, kind of negates the fact that they have been struggling in front of goal. They will see this as an opportunity to get points. Obviously, the battle for relegation is is really increasing. They have to play on the front foot. I know there's no Rodrigo, but we expect uh, Bamford to be okay. Um, I think Leeds can score against Brighton, but I absolutely guarantee that Brighton will score against Leeds too. So, uh, and then you're looking for a third goal, uh, and at 1.92, you know, you're not a million miles off even money there for a match for a, for a bet, which is proving consistently profitable in Brighton matches this season. So this is where it's always good to have a trader on the show because. You do think, like you've just you've been saying, and the guys have been saying on the show for ages, back goals in Brighton games. And that's been the case for a long, long time. 
And this is one of the things we we like to think we can do on this show, which is spot a trend, get out in front of it, make the most of it while it exists. The Nkunku drum, for example. Um, So, Emmett, from your point of view, how long does it take to shift a certain way of thinking? So, you know, we all know there's goals in Brighton games. But that market won't always reflect that. So what goes into the process and how long does it generally take to, to move that market? Yeah, it's it, it's a very interesting question. I, I, I don't think I have all the answers, but just I do think part of it is kind of what Mark said about the kind of the the kind of a, with the goal lines, I always feel there's kind of a league average kind of factored into it. So as Mark said, with the Premier League kind of average, maybe goals being kind of kind of under being a trend, that would be part of it. Say so if you look at on a kind of a week to week basis, like the goal line in nearly every Bundesliga match will be a lot shorter than the Premier League. I think it, yeah. it's not just based on team history; it is part on the kind of league history and the league averages. Um, and just for specifically this game, I could only guess part of it is just the how kind of conservative leads have been under Javi Gracia and, and that's possibly fact kind of factoring into it that it's kind of a the Leeds matches have tended to kind of skew quite lower score in the last few weeks in the German Bundesliga I fancy Köln minus one on the Asian handicap against Bochum on Friday night at 2.17 Bochum's away record the worst in the league they are useless away from home 11 defeats from 12 they were really bad last season away from home as well they've actually lost seven of the last eight competitive games Köln aren't on great form either but it's a Friday night under the lights. I know what that atmosphere is like there. They've won four of the last eight at home in the Bundesliga. They held Union to a goalless draw last time out and actually made some decent chances in that game. So I do fancy Köln to have a, a significant win on Friday night, which probably moved them a significant step towards safety. Mark, you've got a championship double for us. Yeah, it's a, it's a draw no bet double backing two away teams. Uh, Watford away at QPR. And Middlesbrough away at Swansea comes in around six to four on the sports book, possibly a bit bigger if you go on the exchange. Um, start with QPR Watford. Um, Gareth Ainsworth's been sort of unable to halt the the downturn at Rangers. Uh, two three one defeats at home to Blackburn and, and away at Rotherham last weekend. And I think most damaging for him has been an injury to Ilias Chair, effectively robs QPR of all their creativity with Chris Willock also sidelined um, and Lyndon Dykes also absent as well through. Injury and illness, um, so things are quite bleak at the minute. Chair might be back this weekend, but it's it's very much a 50-50. Um, so Rangers were top of the, la- top of the league in mid-October. They've since won one of their last 19 games, taking nine Oof. points and scoring 11 goals. Six defeats in seven, now only seven points above the drop zone. An injury crisis, conceding three goals in the last four games. On the spin and an attack that scored multiple goals just once in those 19 fixtures as well. And it's just terrible timing, really. Watford removing... Slavin Bilic is coaching midweek and appointing Chris Wilder. I'm expecting an immediate upturn in their fortunes. They've just got too much quality in forward areas to, to be sort of middling around outside the top six. They only lost four times against teams outside the top ten, so they should be well able to get something at Loftus Road on Saturday. So Watford draw no bet and Middlesbrough draw no bet. Um, Borough, 14 wins from 19 under Michael Carrick now, second best performing side. In the division during that sequence, put themselves into the picture for a bit of a, a late push at the top two. They've just been really wonderful to watch, playing with freedom, intent, ambition. Uh, seven wins from 11 on the road. They look a really good thing at Swansea, who um, not quite on QPR's level, but absolutely going through a bit of a, a shocker at the minute. Russell Martin's unhappy. The fans are frustrated. 
on-field results have taken a real nosedive. So they've won four games from their last 22. But in three of those four wins, their opposition actually had a player sent off when the scores were level. They're very much a heavy possession team, but without any sort of degree of penetration going forward. The defence is creaking, two clean sheets in 22. And they've actually conceded three or more goals in three of the last seven as well. Uh, and they tend to be found wanting by the big big guns in the division. Swansea have lost all 10 matches against the current top six. And they've scored just two goals in that sequence as well. So, Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think six to four over, over the double there. Watford and Middlesbrough draw no bet. Obviously, if one of those games ends in the draw, the, game, the uh, selection just becomes a, a short price single. But uh, should give you a little bit of... Um, just a, a sort of pragmatic approach to getting the two teams on side. Now, it's not often that I disagree with something I've written on my own script, but I've written here, Paris Saint-Germain crashed out of the Champions League in midweek at Bayern, but they didn't really. They kind of went round, shook everybody's hand and said, we're, we're going to go now. We're just going to go early. We're going to try and beat the traffic. But it was a lovely time. Thank you. We're, we're just going to slip off. Um, Emmett, they were dreadful in midweek. Can they bounce back in Liga? And does anybody care? Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I kind of I thought in the first half they were kind of going okay, and like they were they seemed to be. I felt like it was an even game. Obviously, if um, if they'd converted that chance from the kind of Jan, so- Jan Sommer mistake, uh, the, yeah. the game the game could have been different. But I felt it was kind of like it, it, it was an even game, and even like even at, even though they weren't playing that well at Nilo, that just that Ferrati mistake was just so bad, like just criminal stuff, like to be trying kind of like trying that turn at the edge of your own box and just like he gifted Bayern the tie. Because even if they weren't, weren't if they, even if they weren't playing great, while it's Nilo and even Bappe and Messi in the pitch, you're banging the game. And yeah. just for player Ferrati's experience, it was absolutely terrible, I thought. Um, and they kind of, as you said, after the goal went in, they kind of went down fairly meekly other than Sergio Ramos, who had kind of a couple of, couple of decent kind ahead of efforts um but yeah is it, given given this match kind of uh against against Brest comes pretty soon comes pretty soon after the Champions League coming the Saturday PSG don't have that time to recover as kind of the, the listeners might have seen during the week PSG's two first choice centre halves went off with injury so Marquinhos who's kind of real leader one of the best centre halves in the world has kind of has a rib issue and then Mukaleli who came on for him also also went off as well so they, they were relying on a kind of a 17 year old centre back in I think Bichiabu hopefully apologies to his family for that pronunciation um but he so he, no, he, think he that's fine actually he, he'll likely be start starting at centre back and even when PSG have had their first choice players, they've only kept one clean sheet of their last 11 league one matches. And that was against uh, Ange, who were marooned at the bottom of the table uh, of league one with only, with only 10 points. P- PSG are very flaky defensively. Brest themselves are a limited opponent who are on the edge of the relegation zone. But I think they should be. They should have enough to score at least one goal here. And so kind of 188 on uh, both teams to score is more than fair to me. Now for the heady mix of history, football and Scotland, it's Mark O'Hare's Scott Watch. Oh aye, it's Scott Watch. Yeah, so it's Scottish Cup weekend, so we've got a reduced card, but I'm going to follow the same sort of theme as last weekend and back a win double. But this one straddles both the Scottish League One and the best league in the world, Scottish League Two. Um, that double is Danger done, Man, honestly. Done, <laughs> is, is Dunfermline to win away at Peterhead in Scottish League One and Stirling to beat Bonnie Rig Rose 
in Scottish League Two, which should come in around about 11 to 10, 2.1, which is a, a nice price. Uh, Dunfermline, they've won 18 of 27 games in the third tier. They're eight points clear of the pack. They've won 10 of 13 on their travels. They've kept six clean sheets in nine, 16 clean sheets in 27 overall. And their goal difference this season is plus 30 from 27 games. In comparison, our little pals Peter Head, who are opposing Dunfermline this weekend, have a minus 50 goal difference. Uh, through 27 rounds. They've lost 19 of 27, failed to score on 17 occasions and have scored just 13 goals overall. So Dunfermline, and then we'll drop down to the best league in the world. Sterling, for me, are the best team in this division. Um, super strong sort of underlying metrics. They're five points shy of top spot, but they do have two games in hand. Four of their last five games have been away, but at home they are absolutely a force. Eight wins from 11, 2.55 goals per game scored on average. Seven wins from the last eight at home as well. Um, and Bonnie Rigg, promoted this season, are probably my worst anti-post selection of the season. I back them to win the league. They're actually bottom of the league, and, <laughs> uh, which is uh, pretty spectacular. But, uh, but wasn't yeah, that based on cash? Am I think? Am I right in thinking that they had a decent budget? They obviously had a bit of momentum. Yeah, they had a reasonable budget. Not the same sort of levels as the previous two teams who had been promoted and gone straight through the leagues. But there was certainly a, um, a realization that this team could be competitive and could cause a bit of damage. And they looked underrated in those preseason markets based on what had gone before them. Very similar to what we've seen in League Two in England and the National League. Uh, the, the promoted teams tend to be very decent. Yeah. But it hasn't happened for them. They've lost six of the last nine. They're the lowest scorers in the league. They've lost four of the last five uh, against Dumbarton. Dumbarton or Sterling, who are the top two teams in the division and Sterling only actually beat them away from home just three weeks ago so they should be able to take care of them at home. In terms of culture corner I'm actually quite excited about this because I've got two different elements based around on Fermelin um, who strangely enough my, my missus's great-grandfather actually played for them many many moons ago but uh, that's not the trivia. So Sorry um, sorry Where, how did this come up? How did this um, bit of conversation emerge? Really, really nonchalantly. Long story short, we uh, we went to Scotland um, just after the first lockdown. Um, my missus uh, is Australian, but her grandparents or her grandfather was Scottish. So hence why she's allowed to, to live in the UK. So anyway, we went up to see where her grandfather was from, which is Dunfermline. We checked out the ground. But um, while we were around Dunfermline, seeing where he used to live and where he used to go for a drink, etc. Um, news came through from Australia that actually he did play for Dunfermline for a couple of years. Uh, sorry, his dad, so her great-grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we tried to look for him on the board but couldn't see him and we were on a bit of a, a time schedule too. But, uh, yeah, apparently um, there's a Wood who played for Dunfermline in, uh, I think, the 50s, 60s. And at um, that moment, had you ever been more in love with her? <laughs> I found out she had a link to Dunfermline. I was incredibly impressed. Um, also, because what sort of leads into their nickname, which uh, uh, is the Pars, which did a bit of digging. Why are they called the Pars? And it's apparently down to the players' drinking habits in old days. So quite often the players were described as paralytic, um, with stories kind of suggesting that the football club and the cricket club were closely connected, but the footballers were always drunk and were called the paralytics, <laughs> hence the pars. Well, just wonderful stuff that. Um, but yeah, secondly, and, and an old favourite TV show called Taggart, uh, those yes. under the age of 30. The yes, yes. <laughs> so the writer of the show was actually a Dunfermline fan, uh, and he actually used the names of the 1968 Scottish Cup winning side for the characters in one of his episodes, <laughs> which is uh, just wonderful, wonderful oh, this stuff. this is yeah. tremendous. This is That's tremendous. That's Tom Furman. Two great pits of trivia for you. 
I love that. I, I was at um, Tottenham this week for their miserable display against <laughs> Milan in the Champions League. And Paul Coit, who is the uh, he, he's the on-pitch guy there, the, the announcer for them, uh, told a story that, that I had no idea about this. So they played Gornik, the Polish team in Europe, uh, many, many moons ago. And in the Polish press, it described Spurs as no angels. So some of the Spurs fans dressed up as angels for the trip and at the game sung glory, glory, hallelujah. And that's where glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur comes from because of this whole angel-based trip where they were dressed up and started singing glory, glory, hallelujah. So I had no idea about that uh, until Paul Coit, with a wonderful mix of entertainment and information, uh, able to uh, get the crowd going. Didn't get the team going, though, did he? Man alive, they were bad, but that's (laughs) for another time. Uh, Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so exciting that the reason Antonio Conte took a bit longer to come back from his gallbladder surgery was that he wanted time to catch up on all of the old episodes. How this works is uh, each of the three guys uh, picks a selection. I'm one of the three guys today, by the way, uh, ahead of the weekend's action. Mark, I will start with you. You know, I'm going to go last this week because I want to see who's going for what sort of prices and then I'll sort of make my decision based on that. Tease. Okay, Emmett, I will go with you. Yeah, yeah. so uh, for the reasons given already, I'll go with um, both teams to score in Brest v PSG. So that that, that comes in around uh, four, to, four to five in the sportsbook. Uh, I will go with over two and a half goals in the Leeds-Brighton game. Mark? Okay, I will take Don Fermelin to win uh, away at Peterhead. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Wonderful. I love how eclectic the treble has become. It's, it's become a real kind of curate tag. Wonderful stuff. Uh, that's all we have time for, by the way, on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Plenty of written content and podcast previews ahead of the Cheltenham Festival, by the way. It's coming up very soon indeed. Check out our website, betting.betfair.com. And uh, there is a big Cheltenham Festival that we've produced uh, that you'll be able to check out as well. From Emmett, from Mark and from me. It's goodbye for now.